Worcester Culture Watch, a podcast connecting you with the local culture scene in Worcester, arts, entertainment, music, and more. Worcester Culture Watch from the Worcester Telegram and Gazette. Hello, and you are listening to Worcester Culture Watch on Telegram.com and WorcesterMag.com, and this is brand new on Unity Radio 97.9 FM. Yes, I know you've been hearing us on Unity Radio for the past three weeks or so, but that was a pilot program. We were dating. You know, we weren't really sure if we wanted to do this again and, you know, see if it all worked out. But, you know, I think we're ready to take the plunge. We're going to make it official. We're jumping in with Unity Radio 97.9 FM, and they're going to be happy for us saying their name. (laughs) I'm your host, Victor Infante. I'm the entertainment editor for the Worcester Telegram and Gazette and the content editor for Worcester Magazine and the polka columnist now for the Milbury Sutton Chronicle. That's, that's my new job. Um, big, big stuff going on in the polka world in Millbury. You never know. You can find them out in the middle of what's in Millbury. I, I know two things, three things in Millbury, really. I know two things about Massachusetts, so I can't help you. <laughs> there's like the mall, and there's the Elm Theater, and there's the uh, Star Dumplings. Star sure. Dumplings is amazing, yeah. actually. That's that's pretty much the comprehensive knowledge of Millbury I have, which means I need to learn more. I need to educate <laughs> myself. I'm in the studio today with Gary DeRamos. Hi, Gary. Hi, how's it going? Gary is a freelance contributor for Worcester Magazine, formerly intern at Worcester Magazine, Indeed. so she is going up in the world. <laughs> if you can call a career in journalism going up in the world, sometimes oh I'm goodness. not entirely <laughs> sure. <laughs> Uh, but Gary is on the cover of this week's Worcester Magazine with a wonderful story. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you were writing about? Yeah, sure. Um, so this story for today, um, this week has been about why, why climate activists in Worcester do the work that they do. Um, I focused largely on the youth activists who were involved with September's climate actions, especially the youth climate strike on the 20th of September as well. Well, excellent. And, you know, there was a fairly wide range of activists in there. <laughs> You know, it's so funny. There was one that was a Clark grad student who was 23 years old. Yeah. And he was talking about how he should be handing it over to somebody younger. And of course, I'm sitting here at 47. I'm going, (laughs) no, wait, you're, you are the young one. That's funny. Yeah. But yeah. So, well, I mean, what are, I mean, talk us, talk us through some of the, let's start with the youngest ones you found. Sure. Because you had somebody, you were quoting somebody as young as eight. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So. Um, Jaden Fernando is mm-hmm. eight years old. He goes to SBCC, um, the St. Peter's Catholic Center. Um, and he, I wasn't able to interview him personally, but I did know his father. I almost took a class with him, but I dropped it because I was busy. But um, his professor, his dad, teaches at Clark University. But Jaden is eight, and he was one of the speakers at the youth climate strike, and he was hands down the most captivating speaker the whole day just because of how, like, He's so young to the point where he doesn't realize what he's saying is, like, controversial. Um, He just really wants – he's so taken aback by why we're not doing more about the climate climate crisis. So his, like, spunk was really energizing for the people who were there. Um, And he's carrying with him throughout his life. So it's exciting. Now, of course, some of the most most, um, active and visceral, visceral opinions in your story came from teenagers. Yeah. So um, tell us, introduce us to some of them. Yeah, sure. So one um, was her name was Sochitel Galel Cruz, mm-hmm. uh, thirteen, same school as Jaden, um, and she very much just is 
also confused as to why the adults are doing what they're doing um, and why they haven't changed their ways. Um, there's a lot, and I interviewed Sochidal with her mother at the same time, and there was this shared confusion um, as to why people think they can just sit back and let capitalism fix itself um, and how both individuals and the government should be doing more to address climate change. Um, and I think she would probably have a similar um, agreement with Jaden, who asked, like, like, who posed the question that, who posed the statement that children are going to be paying for the sins of their um, adults who came before them. In terms that was of the a pretty, that's a pretty big, yeah, deep statement there. For sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, and I, I to play devil's advocate for a second, you know, I do hear the voices on Facebook who are mostly mostly spelling it wrong, but they are the voices that are saying, um, you know, it's like oh, adults are putting these words in people's mouths. And when I've been out and out on a story, I have actually seen people do that. You know, parents basically teaching smaller children to mm-hmm. basically parrot what they say. Mm-hmm. I buy it. What what made you what made I mean you you saw this eight year old Jaden speak what do you, what what makes you feel different different about him than that than than he's just parroting what he's told to say? Sure, there's definitely a certain charisma about him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a very captivating eight year old, um, very smart, very independent. Like the only thing that would have given away that he was eight was how small he is. Um, but also, like I spoke to his father afterwards, Jude Fernando, um, and Jude was he told me that. The speech, all the parents did was edit. All of the words were entirely Jaden's. So I knew that it was not like something that was fed to him. Those were literally just his thoughts that he had developed. Um, But of course, like just knowing a bit about his father, like they come from a more justicey background than most, than your average child. So it's unsurprising those those are his views, but um, it was his idea. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because, you know, I remember seeing this when, um, Please forgive me if I get her name wrong. Greta Van Thurnberg? Sure, yeah. The activist from Sweden. Mm-hmm. And she's 16. Yes. And she was over here and she was, you know, she was making some pretty big mm-hmm. waves and uh, big waves and rightfully so. And I kept seeing the, oh, she's being fed this argument over and over again. And I and now at eight, I'll make that argument. I, I'll understand. I'll listen to that argument. Sure. I remember what it was like to be 16. It was a long time ago. <laughs> but I, I do remember when I was 16, I was, nobody was feeding me anything <laughs> at that mm-hmm. point. I was, lucky, I, well, I was lucky. I was lucky to have survived being 16, to tell the truth. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, no, I was independent-minded, and I had my own opinions about politics, and mm-hmm. I was chairing my Amnesty International chapter at yeah. school, and, you know, and I was doing other things I shouldn't be doing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, I, I find that, I find that argument odd, that, that dismissiveness of young, I agree. of youth. I agree. I think um, one of the people I interviewed, Nicole, she is 18. She's a senior at a school in West Boylston. And she learned about climate change when she was in seventh grade, and she considers that late in life. So we're seeing like the next I'm sorry, generation. That's I know, adorable. Okay. I know. Um, so we're seeing a new generation of of youth who are learning about climate change sooner. So of course they are going to realize that this is a problem sooner than we did. Mm. Um, so they're not actually being fed this crisis; they're just realizing it much earlier. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, it's it's not new. I mean, I remember. Us talking about climate change, though we call it back then, we called it global warming. Yeah, in the eighties. Mm-hmm. I mean, I distinctly remember which is remember when the U.S. Like, was taking it the most seriously. And yeah, they stopped. 
Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, there was a point there where it was a big deal. And this this was actually even under Reagan, it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was Reagan taking anything and Nixon environmental. Too. And Nixon actually has one of the best environmental yeah, records of modern history. It does. <laughs> it's surprising. <laughs> you know, people are complicated. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm going to go off course. We're famous for going off course <laughs> on this show. Um, I think every presidency, a, pres- a presidency is so big that inevitably there is at least one or two things that you can agree you can sure. agree that every president that you hated did right yeah and at least every thing every one or two things that every president that you loved if you can love a president <laughs> did that I, obama's about as close as i've gotten to loving a president yeah. and he did some things i did not <laughs> care for and um but, um, you know, it's like I look back at George W. Bush, and there were things I actually thought he was on the right side of. Mm-hmm. He was actually on the right side of the immigration argument, but got pretty much steamrolled by his own party. Yeah. He actually did more to stop the spread of AIDS in Africa than any other U.S. president. Right. I mean, people forget. It's like, why, why, why are his legacy people trying to talk about that? Because that was actually really good. Yeah. You know, there's, there is, you know, and, and there are other things that I was, of course, not as pleased with. But you know, it's funny. I have, I'm sure I'll look back on the Trump years and find something. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure there had to be. Actually, I actually do know what it is. It's actually the move towards, um, towards um, um, criminal justice reform. That's. I've not been following that. Oh, well, led by Kim Kardashian. Oh, right, right. That's because right. he oh, he is as, celebrity politics. But if it if it gets in people out of jail, people that are I'm serving not mad. that I'm not mad. that yeah. you know sometimes <laughs> sometimes you know that's the thing. A presidency is so big, a one celebrity happens, is so big yeah. that one thing, and you got to acknowledge that one thing. Yeah. But anyways, we have gone way off course, as we <laughs> always do. One of the fault lines I've, in your story that kind of ran through it was response to the the environmental strike on the Worcester Common, I believe, and the, um, students not being excused from it. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. Um, so the day before the youth climate strike on the 20th, the superintendent from the Worcester Public Schools called families and guardians and essentially said that um, their students wouldn't be excused mm-hmm. if they attended the they wouldn't have an excuse absence if they attended if they missed school to attend the youth climate. Oh, this is strike. Superintendent Maureen Benienda. Yes, this is her. Um, and um, you know, they cited the public school handbook and what an, an excused absence is for, um, largely for religious events, illness, deaths in the family, what have you. Um, which is actually a similar attendance policy to schools um, to the Boston public school system, but in Boston they did allow for excused absences and. Um, the idea behind including that in the piece was because, you know, if youth want to be at the forefront of this issue, you should be at- able to attend the biggest youth event for climate movements in the world. Mm. Um, and they were not able to this year at well, Worcester. And I, and, I, and it is interesting. And I, th- I, do think the, I do think the school superintendent had some valid arguments yeah, on, her, sure. uh, on her I side. Agree. But I think it is definitely – it is a measure of just how an important an issue this is that – I don't think it gets presented very often in the context of being an educational issue, mm. um, which I think your story actually makes it rather clear <laughs> that on a level it is, especially because so many of the activists are so young. Right. And you know, that means these, these, this level of activism is going to reverberate through our public schools. They're going to reverberate through our colleges where mm-hmm. we maybe expect it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, 
personally, thinking back to when I was 16, I would skip class to go to Taco Bell. So I, I, an act of, you know, a protest mm-hmm. wouldn't have phased me at right. all. I think things have probably gotten a little tougher since the 80s. <laughs> but yeah, no, so that's, uh, I want to, but that brings us into some of the um, college age students there, sure. there was that that were in there. Now there were a lot. There's a lot of them in that, and a lot at Clark, a lot at w, WPI. Yeah, Holy Cross. Holy Cross. There. Um, yeah. There, so tell us a little bit about what's going on at the colleges on this front. Sure. Um, so I'm a 20 year old junior from Clark, of so course. I know Clark the most. Um, but on campus, there's a lot of talk about divestment. So Clark is already divested from the fossil fuel industry. Um, but our divestment campaign, which is led by the club Clark Climate Justice, wants Clark to A, say the fossil fuel that investing in fossil fuels is immoral and contributes to the degrading of humanity. Um, and B, they want to get in writing that Clark will never in the future divest in fossil and invest in fossil fuels. Mm. Um, so there's work around that. Um, WPI has a um, her name is Emma. She's the senior, and pre- she's a senior and the president of this club called Students for a Just and Sustainable Future. They do a lot of work around education mm-hmm. um, in WPI and like getting those students aware of climate problems. And they're a very STEMI focused school, a lot of problem solvers. So they want people to realize there are problems with the climate that we can be solving with our skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, that's largely the work they do. She does a lot of stuff like. Each quarter, they have a specific focus on an issue. So one time it will be, um, it might be gender. One time it might be a different issue, but all related to climate and um, a just future. Mm. Um, I can not speak as much to other Worcester schools, but that I know what's going on. And um, Andrew Etheridge, who I interviewed um, for the story, is 25, a uh, Worcester State grad. He has he's like taking a break between grad um, undergrad and grad school, and he wants to work on divestment campaigns in the Worcester area moving forward. So. Wow, that's a, that's actually that's yeah. actually a pretty pretty impressive goal, actually, because yeah. I think it is it it's is hard. It's a hard task, and it is funny because if you start listening to some of the echoes that come from deeper down the business pages, mm-hmm. which are always worth po- worth paying attention to in newspapers <laughs> if you're an act- activist, because yeah. that's that's where a lot of the real speaking is going. You know, let's you know if we take this about cars right now, the push but the Trump administration is trying to put get California to push back env- environmental standards on car- automobiles. Sure, they might win that fight. I doubt it, but they, they might win that fight. I wouldn't take those odds, but it's, assuming they do, that doesn't mean car manufacturers are suddenly going to go back to to worse standards right. because they've already made that investment mm-hmm, in moving mm-hmm. moving forward. If they're ma- you know if they're looking down the road and saying, well, okay, we've got Trump now, but we might have Elizabeth Warren next year, or you know Bernie Sanders, mm-hmm. you know. And that means the standards are going to go back. You know, the, if if the pressure from the public is to keep pressing f- environmental standards forward and on all fronts, right. then businesses are going to react to that exactly. more than more than things that are transitory, which are such as legislation or executive action. Yeah, that's that's the whole point is to put the you know force companies to follow the values of the people. So we have to put that pressure on the companies. Um, Andrew also advocates for what he calls smart reinvestment, which is a growing thing that's appearing more and more, which is the idea that once you have divested from the fossil fuel industry, you will then reinvest the money you pulled out into newer, greener technologies or greener solutions that like fulfill the, the UN Sustainable Development Goals, for example. 
Now, this wasn't a really big part of your story, mm-hmm. but um, just and if you don't know the answer, that's fine. Sure. Um, how how was the city fit into all of this? Aside from the conflict with the with the superintendent's office, mm-hmm. um, how 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 is the city dealing with environmental issues? Sure. Um, so I know I haven't looked into it too much, but mm-hmm. I know that. Um, on September 17th, they passed the Climate Emergency Declaration, making Worcester like the biggest local municipality to pass such a declaration in New England. Um, and in that city council meeting, Soraya Rivera, like the councilor Soraya Rivera, mentioned that she might want to have some kind of like f- day of talks a year from now that like dives into this issue a lot more. Um, and I believe on the October 14th city council meeting, a lot more proposals were put forth by city councilors, including. Um, Councillor Rivera's idea more fully. Um, I don't have the details on me right now, of but course. I know it, was, it happened. I'm putting so. you on the spot. That's what we do on this show <laughs> sure, is yeah. we put people on the spot, mm-hmm. mostly Bill. Uh, <laughs> but oh, Bill. Um, but yeah, no. So what we yeah. So there's I mean there's a lot going on in that story. There's and I it's oh it's, we also recently like this summer there is a municipality vulnerability assessment something about those words it's the acronyms mvp that put out by the city government that has like a plan of action moving forward um which is also worth looking into to learn more about the what's going on in worcester excellent now there were a lot of groups um mentioned in your story and some people belong to multiple groups and and such you know there was a lot of crossover Mm -hmm. Um, when we were trying to take pictures of some of the people in the story we were lucky that a couple of them were at the same um but yeah, so um, if somebody wants to get involved in action, can you run down some of the some of the groups, organizations yeah. that are in the city that they can fi- find out more about? Yeah. So the from the okay. So there are two main like organizing bodies: the Climate Strike Coalition and the Climate Action Circle. Um, they are essentially the same people, and. Um, but they do different things. The first one, the strike coalition focuses on the strikes. The action circle focuses on more bigger issues, like more uh, moving forward. But the, they're all both of those are made up of smaller or, of smaller organizations, small used lightly. Um, you know, to to look into them, the biggest one would probably be 350 Central Mass. Mm-hmm. Um, they do a lot of work in Worcester and just Central Mass in general. Um, and they have a website. It's pretty self-explanatory to get involved there. They're great people. Would definitely recommend it. Um, if you're interested in like energy democracy work and like getting clean energy in Worcester, renewable energy Worcester does a lot of a lot, a lot of that work. Um, and we also have a chapter of Sunrise Movement, which is a national climate organizing movement. Mm-hmm. Um, but what their plans look like moving forward, I'm not too clear on. Well, excellent. There's still lots and lots of opportunities, and For of course, sure. we'll try to keep people abreast of them both. In Worcester Magazine and/or the Telegram and Gazette, as mm-hmm. they as they unfold, and I think that about wraps this up For section. Sure. All right, we're going to be back in a second. I'll be discussing robots and the voice with Richard Duckett. But first, this is Right or Wrong by War Twins.
And we're back. You have been listening to Right or Wrong by War Twins. You can read my write-up of their new music video on telegram.com or wistermag.com or just summon a friendly forest creature to tell you all about it while singing because we're going to make this a Disney musical. Actually, we are going to get a bit musical here in a second. We are joined in the studio by Richard Duckett, entertainment reporter for the Telegram and Gazette. Hi, Richard. Hi, Victor. How are you doing today? I'm fine, thank you. Excellent. Now, neither of us are going to break out in song, as far as I know. Um, but there's a lot of great musical happenings going on. And as you know, Mr. Sam, uh, Sam James said in a recent story, this is a cool musical moment for Worcester. So let's start off, as we always do and should, with robots. Yes. Um, well, actually, you can call one of them by its proper name, uh, Polytangent Automatic Multi-Monochord, or um, you could call it Pam. Um, There's some office jokes in there somewhere uh, yes. that I can't find. And Pam and Friends are robots uh, designed by uh, Scott Barton of the Worcester Polytechnic Institute. Um, and there's going to be a rather interesting concert, uh, first one of its kind, uh, a mechanics hall on October 27th, titled Sound Fusion, Robots and Live Performers Creating Music Together. So Pam and, and her robotic friends uh, will be joined by uh, local guitar great uh, Cliff Goodwin, uh, Will Sherwood, who's the principal organist of Mechanics Hall, um, other, other great musicians, uh, there'll be a vocalist, there'll be a dancer, um, it's a very varied uh, program, ranging from some organ classics and um, works by Bach, right up through to The Who. And with each piece, I think you'll find that um, the robots have been programmed to play it, but um, I think with each piece there'll be some progressive... Um, um, complexity leading up to an improvisation which will demonstrate that the robots can not only be programmed to play uh, a piece of music um, but can also actually have the power to be autonomous themselves they can actually make musical decisions and improvise and um, um, so that promises to be um, very interesting indeed I, I had no idea that the robot apocalypse would be so musical but <laughs> Well, um, the point that the Scott Barton makes is that he's a composer, yeah. okay, and uh, um, he's just exploring new horizons for himself as, as a composer by uh, adding this sort of different type of voice um, and seeing how that would, works in his own personal creative um, process. So, um, you know, he points out that, you know, Pam wouldn't exist unless a human being um, had created it and was programming it. Um, but, of course, you know, you never know. You could see the day when um, Pam, you know, uh, introduces a piece at Mechanics Hall. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's entirely possible. Uh, I think we need to adjust Asimov's laws of robotics, though, to add no disco to the... <laughs> Yeah, well, it might, it might be too late, I'm afraid. <laughs> ah, dang, dang, dang. No, but um, all joking aside, though, it's, it's actually kind of fascinating to see, especially this combination of musicians, because those are some mm. very, not only just very talented musicians, like, you know, Cliff and uh, Will Sherwood and such, but also very different musicians. Yes, indeed, yeah. So merging those with what, to my mind, seems like an unpredictable factor. I know robotics seems like it should be rigid like a we think drum machine but it's anything but right right yeah 
Yeah, they play pretty well, actually. Um, we were at um, um, Scott Barton's lab at WPI, and uh, he had uh, Pam and company perform a piece for us, and uh, it was very interesting, very, very impressive. Excellent. Uh, Excellent. Well, I'm really looking forward to see how this goes, and... <laughs> I, I'm I'm fascinated. I really it's, am. It's yeah. It's part of um, a new initiative, uh, Mechanics Hall. Actually, um, new voices, and um, uh, I think one thing they want to do is um, get get children involved there. So there'll be what they call like uh, an instrument petting zoo um, at Mechanics Hall before the start of the concert, so children can can well families, you know, children, young and old um, can check out the robots themselves and, and maybe interact with them. Wow, that sounds. I would have been so excited about that when I was a kid. All right. Well, we're on the subject of music. Let's move from robotics to the voice. This this city has had the the voice has really like loomed large more than like any other reality TV show in this city's musical scene. Yeah, it's quite remarkable. I mean, uh, Alison Porter won it about three years ago, and now we have. Um, uh, Ricky Duran of Grafton, who's um, off to a tremendous start in and, The Voice. And, of course, Sam James, who was the first competitor on there, and who actually made it pretty deeply into, got knocked yeah, out in the battle did. rounds, as I recall. Yeah, he did very well. Um, so, yeah, that's 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 a pretty good um, track record. Probably compares favorably with any, uh, any any other city, I would think. I would yeah. think so. I would think so. And it's, and it's increasingly people, I, I like this, and... I, I like this little bit that they've been saying they're from Worcester more, more and more. Ricky has, anyways, and not, yes. not from Boston. From Boston, right. right. <laughs> you know, Allison Moore's from Los Angeles these days, so that's fine. But, but, um, but yeah, it is. It is nice to see musicians when they're in the public light claiming Worcester and not trying to skirt that <laughs> to somewhere else. So that's just a little thing that I'm always just happy to see. Now you've been speaking with Ricky. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, he's some. Um, First spoke to him um, on the blind audition, which mm -hmm. was um, broadcast on October 7th. And then uh, this past um, Monday, uh, his battle round was um, broadcast. And, and that was uh, fantastic. Uh, uh, yeah, he did uh, He did a great duet with a fellow uh, um, Team Blake Shelton member, um, and Mar Marina Cello, I think I'm pronouncing her, her name right. It was a really dynamic duet of uh, Valerie by the uh, by the Zutons and mm -hmm. um, and the judges. Well, Blake Shelton chose um, Ricky Duran to go forward, but he also saved uh, Marina, so um, they, they, they'll, they'll both go on. And Ricky Duran got. As he did the first time, got tremendous um, encouragement from Blake Shelton and the other judges, um, with John Legend saying he has star quality, um, which is pra high praise, um, considering it comes from John Legend. Um, he's still got a long way to go, though. It's a long process. Um, the... Um, the shows that we've been watching were, were, were taped over the summer, but they'll move on to the live performances and eliminations. I think beginning uh, November 11th, and I think uh, I think the finals will be in uh, early December. So, um, but, he, but talking to him, he's getting, been getting a lot of recognition. His parents were uh, were from Guatemala, 
mm-hmm. his late parents, both deceased, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but there's a, a music now. There's a new fan base that's been formed in Guatemala. Um, oh, that's for, fantastic! For Ricky Turan, yeah, Ricky Turan fan club in Guatemala. So, uh, plus, of course, he has a, his own personal following in Grafton with family and friends, and uh, they all got together last Sunday and had a big get together, and uh, there were posters. Um, um, photos on display, and it was all videoed, and uh, so, um, and this is happening all over the country as well. So. It's, it's fantastic. It's funny. I'm I I in parallel news, as it were. Um, Sam James, Sam James, and Ricky Duran actually, uh, aside from being friends, because you know they're both from the Worcester music scene, they actually used to have a duo together. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> which is which is funny. It was a long time ago, but um, they were. Sam was telling me, I interviewed Sam the other day because he has a new single coming out that Dolly Parton is singing on, which is really exciting news for him. Um, and she's going to, of course, play that at the Country Music Awards. So that's for as a, for a Worcester-based singer-songwriter, that's you know about as good as you can get. But um, it's funny because he, he was saying that the producers on The Voice, every time Ricky sings, I'll text him saying, your boy's killing it, man. He's so good. It's and, um, you know I t- talked a little bit about Ricky with Sam, um, in our interview that was in today's Telegram and Gazette, and he it's funny because he was saying that he f- feels like Ricky is so much more built for this than he feels he was, you know he always he always felt like on a certain level, whether this is true or not he always felt like well I don't really belong here this isn't what I should be doing. Whereas it's very to, to Sam, it's very clear that this is what Ricky is built for as a musician. That he seems, and to Sam's eyes, he seems much more confident and much more at home in that environment. Yeah, well, he uh, he made the move. Ricky Duran, that is, he made the move to Austin, Texas, and was doing well down there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was where actually the Voice spotted him. Um, uh, Sam is is you know is, he's a songwriter and he was on Songland and uh, yep. did. Uh, and and common denominator there was John Le- Le- Legend. John Legend. Um, um, so um, although he didn't win that songland, the exposure um, I'm sure has helped him. Well, the song he didn't win the song, but the song uh, itself, when it when the single was released, cracked the country, the top fifty country charts. Right, as I mean, it's terrific exposure. That shows terrific exposure, whether you win or not. Indeed, and I should note that they do have the same producers. Those, yeah. those shows, right, right. So, yeah, there it's it's really exciting, and I I I don't know if it's how how it is that this that it's that show particularly that seemed that Worcester musicians seem to have really found a home with because there was never much interest in American Idol around here. You know, I, I know some people who auditioned for it, but it never seemed to really click. Yeah, I mean, um, people from around here have been um, tried for various different shows, sure. but for some reason, the voice is the one that um, has been hitting the right notes. And know? I think, for especially for serious musicians, a lot of it is so much of it is about the quality of the singing and not the rest of the package. I mean, right. that becomes relevant as it goes on, but right, right, right. Yeah, the the um, yeah the teams the teams themselves are no good thing when they hear one. Yeah, definitely, and you know, and that sort of blind judging, you know, when you you know when you see four chairs turn around for Ricky Duran, then <laughs> you know something, you know that's that means something more than they think this guy has a good look or has a good, 
you know, vibe. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, but Ricky Duran also has clearly has some sort of stage presence. He has a lot now. Yeah. yeah, now and of course, you know, a lot of people around Worcester might remember him from bands such as Blue Light Bandits and playing solo and such. It was, it's funny because this just seems like he really is stepping into the role he was meant to be playing. So hey, I. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. We do not know the future, but we would love to be ha- seeing him on the live shows when it comes forward. And Yeah, we'll stay tuned. All right. And if you want to see Sam James a little closer to home, he will be playing Friday at Electric Haze with Dan Burke. Um, I'm not sure if there are still tickets for that, but they seem to be going really quickly last I checked. But anyways, and of course, the, his song sung by Dolly Parton will be out and on Friday, and it's an elect- Dolly Parton doing electro pop. Electro pop. Sounds great. I'm. Ta- it's. I'm. I'm a little bit. Ta- I've heard a clip of it, and I'm intrigued. <laughs> Very much intrigued. It's called Faith, and I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Maybe they they should have got a robot in on it. Too. I think they might have actually. <laughs> it is. You know. It's. It's. Oh, pan- oh new duet. Pam and Ricky Duran. Pam, Ricky Duran, and Dolly Parton. I think I, this is the we we need a music festival. Okay, we have clearly lost the plot once again here on Worcester Culture Watch, so we're going to call it a day. Again, you are listening to us on either Telegram.com, WorcesterMag.com, Unity Radio ninety seven point nine FM, or maybe you're just like on Spotify or something, and that's fine. We're not judging you. As always, our music was composed by DJ Manipulator. We'll be back again next week. Thank you and goodbye.